0: You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So when we started this Friday night service, Brian and I agreed that we would preach on the same texts Friday and Sunday. And uh, I normally do the Fridays, but I did learn that if I do a Sunday, that means that if I listen and pay attention to Friday, I got like two days to change my notes. Alright? So, Brian picked out that video, and I now have like .3 seconds to change my notes. Because, there it was. I, I am now going to summarize and conclude <laughs> basically what the video just said there. I, that's just amazing to watch that and go, oh, oh. So, anyway. There's, there's the message. You, you just got it. Um, I invite you to open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, as it's typically entitled that section of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, those three chapters, and um, we are starting a new series tonight. We are done with the Selah series. We're letting the Selah have one big final Selah. And uh weird thing of about this, this is how you know miracles still happen. I don't know if you paid attention to Brian at the beginning of this series. Do you remember what his attitude about Psalms was? I hate them. He did not like them. Wednesday, he's kind of like... I I don't want to quit doing the psalms. I want to keep doing them. <laughs> He's like, so God transformed his heart about the psalms, and he wants to keep preaching psalms. Me, on the other hand, I'm like, no, let's move on. <laughs> so Brian has set up a seven-part series that we're going to be doing that leads all the way into the Advent season. And it's uh, he calls it a meaty faith because it's about the incarnation. And in the incarnation, God takes on flesh and bone and blood and muscle and And all that, you know, it's kind of to me, it's kind of a gross title for a series because it makes me think of a steak or something like that. But um, it it has a it has some meaning to it, and, and it's going to be a meaty study as well because the incarnation is a very unique doctrine when it comes to all the different religions in the world uh in fact god is a unique god he, you know he came into he he came into the scene so to speak and, and formed a nation around him when every other people uh worshiped a pantheon of gods many gods and he comes along and says no israel there's one god one God. And, and He's showing them how to relate to Him. And then this one God takes on human flesh and walks amongst us. So I'm actually excited for, uh, the next few weeks and what we're gonna be doing because I can't think of anything better to talk about than Jesus. And, uh, uh, the concept of, of the limitless, eternal God, uh, condescending in a sense to take on human flesh and walk amongst us. It's just an amazing thing. So, here we go. Uh, let's start off with this. Uh, have you, is there, is there, have you ever saw something, let me put it that way, have you ever saw something that just isn't all that it should be and it kind of drives you nuts? Okay, can anybody give me an example of something like that where, you know, you're just like, oh man, I see that and now it's kind of driving me crazy because I, I think, I think there should be more to it. You don't have to be OCD or anything like that. It's just something that kind of goes, man, that's just not the way it should be. There should be more to it. Yes, Brian. My preaching. (laughs) Okay, well you can say that. (laughs) You can say that. Uh, But the rest of us can't because we're nice. So, (laughs) so, yes, Sally. Years ago, we went on a trip to the East Coast
1: and we went to um, uh, Boston and Plymouth. Has anyone here ever seen the famous Plymouth Rock? It's not all that it should be. <laughs> exactly. Okay.
0: It's Plymouth Big Stone. <laughs> yes. Okay. Is right. uh, No. <laughs> It's not
1: as you big as it. Will's car. Well,
0: <laughs> nice. oh, okay. I That's thought so. Much, but... <laughs> so this rock was like this mountain where the pilgrims
1: landed.
0: <laughs> it. It's it's about like. No, it's a little bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Your Canadian. Uh, yeah. What are the Canadian measurements? You could probably just about fit it in between these tables. Oh, okay. Really? It would be six feet high. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, when I went to school, you know, elementary school, it, you know, they had illustrations in our history books. And, yeah, there were pilgrims all over that rock. That's, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. All right. It is on the seashore. Maybe it's <laughs> All right. Okay, anybody else? That's a good one. Anybody else? You know, you just see something and go, oh, man, that's not what it should be. There should be more to it. And it's just kind of driving me a little bit crazy. Well,
1: I mean, I guess Which is just a big metal disc in the ground in the middle of nowhere so we went to the four corners and took our picture and then we find out years later that that's
0: not even where the Four corner is
1: <laughs> it's like where did they find out it actually is like 12 miles to the west of that disc or something so we weren't actually in the four corners <laughs> oh, okay all right it's just frustrating.
0: okay um, how about, you know, these are things that we see and there's not much we can do about it. How, if you, do you see something you think, I, I should do something about that? That's just not as it is, I need to do something about that. So, an example for me is, and this is kind of weird because I'm not a detailed guy. Right, Andy? I totally forgot that you were even in the room and we had a conversation the other night and I came to tell you about that conversation. Wow. (laughs) So obviously, (laughs) big details even kind of slip by me sometimes. But every Sunday, uh, when I sit in here, I look up while the worship's going and I see the outlets. Right? And I see that there are no outlet covers on that. (laughs) And for some reason, that just drives me nuts. I mean, I've actually found myself not worshiping because I'm, I'm worrying too much about the outlets. And so I'm like, I gotta do something about that. It just drove me nuts that much. I'm going to Lowe's. And then I got to look and I can see why there's not outlet covers on it because it's kind of impossible to get the outlets out flush with the wall so that you can put a cover on them and that. So now I gotta figure that out. But yeah, yeah, it's a paneling brick. Anyway, that's, that's kind of the thing that, that bugs me. I see that and I think, oh, gosh, I, gotta, I need to do more about that or something. And, and here's why that probably trips a trigger in me. I used to work for a construction company, and my job at the company was, or part of my job was, is I, I was a painter, but my job as a painter was I was the finisher. That sounds like there would be some dramatic music, you know, like I'm a hitman or something like that. He's the finisher, you know. And and basically, my job was on these really high end remodels. I was the last guy in on the job, and I had to go through everything on that job and and lay an eye on something and make sure that things were looking good by the time. And I had to do like magic tricks and stuff like that to make things look good. Like for example, if the drywall guy had a wonky wall and you put a countertop up against it, there's gaps, you know, in there. And so I had to figure out, you know, I had to lay down tape and caulking and then paint and peel the tape out, and nice crisp line, fooled the eye. And so that was the idea, was that when the homeowner came in there, they went, oh, wow, it's marvelous, it's better than I expected and all that. And so uh, I, in a way, I kind of had to, Make up for where the carpenter might have lacked, not that he wasn 't doing his job, it was just the circumstances were such that he wasn 't able to make things with his tools and his knowledge the way out to be and that was that was me. I was the finisher okay so what we 're going to be doing in the next seven weeks leading up uh, all the way to Christmas is we 're going to be looking at. Uh, jesus christ and, and exploring some of the reasons why he came if i'm correct brian chose uh, all the passages for these seven weeks uh, based on jesus actually saying um, i the reason i came or i came to or i did not come in the case of tonight. And so this is kind of an interesting way to approach it. I'm excited about it because I can't, you know, Brian, like Brian says, we can't take our agenda into it. We have to look at the scripture and go, wow, what is that saying to us? And then these guys do a video and Brian picks that video and I go, okay, I spent all that time preparing a sermon that they just did really well in a nice five-minute video. (laughs) Now I don't know what to do with myself. But other than say this, tonight I want us to look at Jesus, the finisher. Okay, and and the essence of something needed to be done. And that's part of why he came. So let's look at the text, Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. Uh, this is part of Jesus' most famous sermon, Sermon of the Mount, and it's very critical, uh, a very critical text to understanding the whole of the Sermon of the Mount. And it starts like this in verse seventeen: Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes uh, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does um, them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And now look at verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now I find that a really interesting statement in there and, uh, fascinating that G- I think he's actually kind of teasing us a little bit when he says that because in that setting, in that culture, uh, who was the standard for religious righteousness? Scribes and Pharisees, Scribes and Pharisees right? <laughs> you know, and, and how many laws did those guys say, uh, were presented in the, in the law?
1: 613,
0: Six hundred thirteen. very good. Okay, I'm going with Jake there because that's the number my brain told me it was too and I might be wrong and Jake might be wrong but we're going to agree to be wrong. Uh, <laughs> over 600 laws. Okay, and then the, the Pharisees would then and the scribes, they would take those laws and those were called uh, mother laws and they would create daughter laws, laws that they interpreted based on that. Like for example, if it were the Sabbath, you're not supposed to plow. That is a mother law. Okay, A daughter law would be something like, if it's the Sabbath and you have a walking stick and you drag your walking stick in the ground so as to make a furrow in the dirt, you have violated the mother law. Okay, Or how about this one? Have you ever had one of those colds where you cough and something shakes loose in your lung and it gets caught in your throat? And you're going, oh, yuck, That I'm not swallowing that back down. And so what do you do? You expectorate, (laughs) you spit it out on the ground, and then you look at it and go, that looks like an alien creature. (laughs) So you tow some dirt over it. If it's the Sabbath, you just broke the law. And that's why Jesus got hard on the Pharisees and the scribes by saying that you put burdens on the people's backs that you won't even lift a finger. to to try to take care of. And so the law became this massive burden. So you can imagine the listener sitting on the hillside when Jesus says, hey, you want to get to heaven? Then your righteousness has to be better than, because they were there too, than those guys. It has to be even greater than them. And I would imagine at that point, especially Peter going, we're (laughs) toast, dude. We are not going to make it. So to understand what Jesus is saying, let's go back and look at this, and, and if you paid attention to the video, we've already got the answers to a lot of these. Um, we would probably should ask, well, what is the purpose of the law? But before we can say, well, what is the purpose of the law, we have to say, well, what is the law? So uh, what is the law? What do you remember from that? This is audience participation. You
1: can talk about it.
0: Okay, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, or the Pentateuch is the, the it's called in the Greek. Okay, The books of Moses. And you saw how law after law after law was given. And what was the result of giving the law in the Torah? How did they demonstrate that in the video? Rebellion. Over and over again. New laws, more rebellion. And then, you know, they say rules are made to be broken. That seems to be the way human nature works. Give me a new rule, I'll find a way to break it. That sort of thing. Okay, so that's one way to say that's what the law is. It is the first five books of the Torah. What else would you say as an answer to? Well, what is the law? My friend Jesse Paragel always says the law is the teaching, instruction, and wisdom of the Lord. Always says it. That's his answer. Teaching, hmm. wisdom, instruction, of the Lord. Okay. Boom! 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 boom. boom, boom, boom so you know and in one way that you can even interpret that answer might be it's like the whole of the old testament because you find the wisdom books in there and uh, the teaching and the instruction it comes all the way through the history books the the poetical books and the prophetical books okay Uh, what may be another way to interpret that word law A a measuring stick okay could we might even say that uh, sometimes in talking about the law, we're talking about traditions? Maybe things that that weren't even what God originally gave, but they were things that men, like the Pharisees and the scribes, developed uh, for people to adhere to and to follow. So... There's, there it is. I I think one of the things that we often make a mistake in when we talk about what the law is, is we get this idea in our head that the law is some sort of moral code of conduct that man is required to follow. Okay? And that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were they were increasing the code of conduct, so to speak, saying, look, if you keep all of these commandments, then you will be righteous. And then Jesus goes and says, well, guess what? Um, you have to be even better than all of that. Your righteousness has to be greater than that or different than that, if or, or you're not ever going to enter uh, the kingdom of heaven. Uh let me explain a couple of words that were in uh the text that we just read. For example, the word abolish. Do not think that I came to abolish. Uh katalo is the Greek word, and it means to dissolve or to overthrow. Alright, now Jesus is answering some some accusations that were made against him. There were some that believed that Jesus was just completely sweeping the law under the rug, and it was grace, 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 and nothing but grace. And the law doesn't matter, the law is not important and all that kind of thing. And that creates a tension for you and I as believers. Because, you know, what, how do we as Christians deal with the law? Okay? If, if we're saved by grace and all that, then, then what is the purpose of the law that we have to explore? And, and I think this text helps us to, to look at that. Now, he says, I didn't come to sweep them away. I didn't come to, to, to throw them under the, under the rug or that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not a libertine or, or that sort of thing. But he says, I came to fulfill them. And we're going to look at that word in a minute here. And that, that's a Greek word called plero, is is how it, it's pronounced. And we're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But look at verse 18 right at the end of that one, because he uses another word, at least in the English Standard Version, that's pretty similar to fulfill. Um, I have the word "accomplished" until all is accomplished, and I checked to make sure that they weren't the same Greek word translated into two different English words because that sometimes happens in our English translations and that. But they are; they're two different words completely. And this word is really interesting. Uh, Jesus says that you know until heaven and earth pass away, that that not even the smallest little punctuation mark in the Bible. Or from the law is gonna, is gonna pass away until everything is accomplished. And the meaning behind that word is, is to be born anew. Jesus is, you know, remember what they said that was the solution for mankind? It wasn't following the law. What did, what did the Old Testament prophets say that man needed? Heart change. Heart change. A new heart. Uh, we need to be Born anew. I mean, that's kind of a catchphrase in Christianity, being born again. I never understood born again Christian because how can you be one without being the other? <laughs> it's kind of redundant. But, but that's what Christ is saying here. He says, I'm coming to do something completely different with the law and, and everything's going to be made new. That's what he means when he says it's all going to be accomplished. And, and it's a sense of a great finishing that happens. And then he says, if someone relaxes any of these, even the least of these commandments, here's where we know that Jesus says, look, the law is still important, because he's basically saying, don't even relax the least of them. And and the word relax in there is kind of the idea of untying somebody's boat from the dock and letting it go adrift. So, so he says, "Don't do that with the law. Don't don't untie the law from its dock and let it go drift. You know, because you'll be the least in heaven if you do that." He says, "But if you do them, and that the, the Greek word behind that is to just live in accordance with them and teach others the same, then then you're going to be great in heaven." And then he gives us that great impossible statement: "This is impossible. Be greater than the Pharisees and scribes in their righteousness, or you won't see the kingdom of heaven." All right, so. Let's go back to the law again. In the Old Testament, the, 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 the law that was given to us in the books of Moses and following with additions throughout the Old Testament were basically put into three divisions. Anybody know what the three divisions of, of Israeli law were? One of them is moral law. Okay, Moral law is just basically what reflects the character of God. And it's universal because all men, whether you're, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're created in the image of God. So that means you're created with the capacity to know the character of God and to reflect the character of God. And Israel was set apart through the law to be the example to all the nations of the moral law. Okay, so that's one aspect of the law, the moral law. Um, think about some of the other rules that they were given. What did they apply to, can you? Okay uh so relational law okay or we might say civics okay civil law that they that they had to do now civil law was given to israel to set them apart from all the other nations okay they had a whole different uh, order of how they were to relate to one another and you got to remember cuz when you read the old testament you might see some things about slavery and things like that, you have to understand that the Bible is not condoning slavery, but God is setting limits to it during a very barbaric age. Now we're reading it in the 20th 21st century now, and, and we have a whole different cultural context and historical context to that. But back then, what God was doing for Israel was actually saying, "You guys are all animals down here." Um, and so in the culture that you're now living in, I'm going to give you some boundaries. To limit those things, and that made Israel completely different than all the other nations around them, with like how, how they dealt with slavery. Okay, it didn't mean that God wanted, you know, he abolished slavery eventually. Um, but in that day he was saying, I'm gonna at least set some limits to you. So you have moral law, you have civil law, and then there's another uh third branch to the to the law it's given. It's pretty important for Israel. Ceremonial. Okay, ceremonial and religious law. Okay? And like I said, this, this was the law that was given to guide Israel uh, into a relationship with a holy monotheistic God. Because, you know, in that time, any priest could make up any rule he wanted to to how to worship God. Okay? Let's say Brian and I, instead of being being Christian pastors, we are uh priests of Zeus. Well, Brian might be a little bit more sympathetic to Hera <laughs> than I am. And so his interpretation of religious law for the Greeks could be completely different than mine. And how Brian tells you to approach Zeus in atonement or something like that could be totally different than, than mine. But what God did is, He says, look, I'm, I'm one God. I'm, I'm, I'm faithful in my character and who I am. And Israel, you need to know how you as a sinful people can approach a holy God. And so he gives religious law to them. Alright? So, understand those three aspects of it. This is very important that we know this, that the law was never intended to be a moral code of conduct that determined the measure of righteousness. In fact, it's impossible, as they pointed out in that video, it's impossible for fallen humankind to perfectly keep each and every requirement perfectly. Perfectly. Okay, we can't do it. We're sunk. So does that mean that God set us up for failure? Did you yeah. say just the law or a specific one? The,
1: sorry, I just didn't catch whether said. immoral.
0: The, the, the law okay. as a whole, yeah, in those three aspects. But, no, free to ask questions, so I'm glad you did that. So did God, what, did he set us up for failure then by giving us the law? Because see, here's the tension that we come into. What do we do with the law? I mean, why don't we sweep it under the rug if it's impossible for us to even keep it and that sort of thing? Well, that takes us back to why Jesus came and what he meant when he said, I came uh, to fulfill the law. Uh, I'll give you a homework assignment. You can write this down in your notes. Romans 7 and Galatians 3. uh just two chapters out of the new testament out of two different books that that the letters that the apostle paul wrote uh, that give us excellent instruction into the purposes of the law and as well the limitations of the law and how that pertains to us as christians in romans 7 you're going to see paul lay out a a very good defense for why the law is good and why the law is holy and then in galatians you're going to see him lay out why the law is limited in, in its relationship to us as Christians if we misalign the purpose of the law in, in our walk with Christ. Okay? So like, for example, in Galatians 2.16, Paul makes the case that no one is justified by keeping the law. Okay? That's important to understand. The law is good, but the purpose of the law is not so that you and I can somehow justify ourselves before God. Okay, And the law demonstrates over and over and over again, we can't do it. We are not able to do that. Um, in Galatians 3.19, Paul says the law was added. That's an interesting phrase there, or, or word. He says that the law was added in order to contain sinful humanity and give us the knowledge of what is sin. He basically says, if it were not for the law, I wouldn't even know that I'm coveting. I wouldn't even be aware of the things. And so there's part of the good thing about the law is it, it helps, it gives us instruction to even know what sin is and, and to help us to be aware of our our situation uh, apart from Christ. And then in Galatians 3.24, uh, Paul uses uh, this this word picture that the law was our tutor or our schoolmaster that would help us identify Christ. And I think that's where a lot of us miss that. And and this is the key link to Matthew chapter 5 and why Jesus came. Um, In fulfilling the law, we know He's the one. He is the Messiah that was promised. He is the Savior uh, for all the world that God had promised from the beginning uh, of all these things. So does that start to make sense? Okay, so now we have to kind of come down to well okay well then what is our relationship to the law so let me make some points here and we'll we'll talk about a few of those things um, one thing we see in this text that we just read in Matthew is that Jesus did not come in any way to negate or to undo the instructions of the Old Testament okay uh, neither did he ever indicate in all of his ministry that one can maintain their relationship with God in an attempt to keep the law Okay, so he made it clear that the purpose of the law is not so that you have a list of rules to get yourself into heaven. Check, check, check. I've done all those things. Um, remember the the story of the rich young ruler, the guy that comes to Jesus and says, "Good Master," <laughs> and Jesus kind of teases him and says, "Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone." So Jesus is almost like saying, "Get the hint." You know, if you're calling me good, then you must be acknowledging that I am God. That I am, that I'm God in the flesh. Come, come down here to midst you. And the guy says, what do I have to do to etern- to inherit eternal life? So Jesus gives him another teaser and he says, well, you know the commandments. And the rich young ruler says, yeah, I know them. I've kept them all, all from my youth up. And Jesus should have went baloney, you know. <laughs> but instead he says, okay, well, let me, let me throw one more thing at you. Um, get rid of everything that's shown and come follow me. The guy says, no, I can't do that. Yeah. which is a good indication he never did keep all the commandments uh there he he failed too so it's pretty clear that you know that's not the purpose of the law it wasn't given as okay I'll just check off my checklist and God's going to be pleased with me okay so we should not like i said before we should not untie the law from the dock um, but we should understand the law in its proper context Okay, and the best way to understand the law in its proper context is to look and see what Jesus said about the law. Okay, so is, did Jesus in any way say the law is not important? Absolutely not. He says, in fact, he says, "I've I've come to finish it. I've come. That's my purpose of putting on human flesh is to come in here and to complete it." Okay. A second thing we see in this text is what Jesus says about God's word. Did you notice that? What did, he, what did Jesus say about God's word? going to
1: disappear.
0: Say that again? It's not going to disappear. It's not going to disappear. <laughs> okay. He goes into kind of incredible detail even when he talks about that. Now, have you guys heard of the doctrine of inspiration Con- concerning the Bible? And there's a lot of theological debate about how much the Bible was inspired. Okay. The idea of inspiration is that God took human authors, uh, several of them in fact, over a span of 1500 years, all from different walks of life, and the Holy Spirit breathed his word into them and they in their unique personalities and perspectives wrote what the Holy Spirit gave them to write. That's the idea behind inspiration. And now there are some theologians that say, well, he just kind of inspired the ideas. That they were supposed to write, and then there's others that say, "Oh no, no, no! Every single word was given by the Holy Spirit." And then you know they kind of fight about those things. But I, I like Jesus' view of Scripture. Do you know it's Jesus' view of, of of it? It's all really important. It's to what extent? To
1: the point where nothing can. Every dot, every iota. Okay.
0: Yeah, every dot and every iota. What Jesus is referring to that if you ever look at the Hebrew uh, uh alphabet and language there's there's these tiny little marks that will differentiate. They have a whole different form of punctuation than than we do in English. But they'll use those things to differentiate some some things. Jesus says that the whole that the Bible was inspired to the point of its punctuation. And and how that gets me is do I have that high of a view of scripture? Do do I value Scripture that much? Um, one of the reasons we talk about this being a meaty faith, it's not just about Jesus coming in flesh and blood. It's about how do we flesh out our beliefs. And and this is a big challenge for me, is what is my attitude towards the Scripture? Um, if Jesus had such a high regard for it, should I not have the same regard for Scripture? Okay? I don't want to bog down on that, so let me move to a third point or observation here. Uh, remember I said that Jesus came to fulfill, and the Greek word is plero-o. Um This means, pleroo means to complete something to its fullest measure. Meaning it, it's 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 as complete as complete can be. There will be nothing lacking. I'm pretty sure that some guy could have followed me on any one of those remodels and go, oh man, I can't believe Nick missed that and would have to fix something that I didn't fix. Jesus came to do what none of us could do and there's no one that's going to follow Jesus and fix it. Okay? He's he's the end. He is the full measure of of all those things. So again, going back to the law, the civil law, who completed it? Jesus. Israel didn't. Okay? They still don't. I found it really interesting. I not to get political or anything, but I followed some of the elections, and I saw that one of the one of the states in, uh, elected their first Jewish, openly gay governor, which I found kind of an interesting contradiction because the Torah says that homosexuality is an abomination, but yet he's Jewish and openly gay. So is he following the laws? It's written. Okay, no, because we're humans; we don't follow it perfectly. But Jesus was able to do that. Um, when it comes to religious law, okay, this one's a real interesting thing. Every aspect of the religious law was actually a foreshadowing of Jesus. How men were to uh, sinful men were to approach a holy God was all to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, you could not even come into the holy presence of God, unless you were the high priest, and that was only kind of like one time of the year, and all the sacrifices had to be made, and, and everything like that. And there's, there's all these legends that they tied ropes around the high priest so in case they died there in the presence of God, they could drag them out, and that they had bells on their ropes, so they could hear him moving around, things like that. Uh, that may or may not be true, I don't know. But that's that was the idea. You could not pass the veil into the presence of God. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was torn from the top to the bottom, <laughs> and it's humanly impossible to tear that veil. I mean, the fabric is basically the width of my hand, and especially from the top all the way down to the bottom. Suddenly, the Holy of Holies was fully accessible to those priests. Could you imagine being one of those one of those priests when that happened, and having the look? Don't look. Look. Don't. <laughs> what do I do? You know, but but that's an amazing thing. And and basically if you read the Hebrews he uh, book of Hebrews, that lays out the the case that Jesus is the new covenant. He's he's the fulfiller of the new covenant, uh and and he is the completeness of the new covenant, and it's and it it the new covenant completes the old covenant so that it's no longer necessary. Isn't that great to know that on Sunday you don't have to bring a goat? Huh? Yeah. You know, if, if, if we had to keep doing this, it would be a bloody mess every, every time we gathered together. But because Jesus sacrifices the completion of all sacrifices once and for all, then that's the sacrifice we now trust in. And that's good news. Okay. And then when it comes to the moral law, He's the only one that did it perfectly. He's the only one that did what we could not do, he finished the job. All right. So this passage is actually kind of a prelude to the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And those guys touched on it in the video. Uh, Jesus actually shows what it looks like to plowrow the Old Testament. Okay. So uh, you know some examples as you read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's not just enough to not murder. How did Jesus complete that? Yeah, you don't even get angry with your brother, man. If anybody had the opportunity to get angry with his brother, I think it'd be Jesus. You know, what do you mean you think I'm insane? <laughs> his brother thought he was nuts. Peter was, you know, his brother in, in, in faith. Now, how many times did Peter let Jesus down? He never said "rocka" to Peter, which meant you were worthless and good for nothing, kind of thing. Something we do all the time without even thinking about it. Uh, Jesus goes beyond the letter of the law, all the way to that heart. That heart that we all need to have. He said it's, it's impossible to not commit adultery unless you eliminate lust and divorce. Has mankind been able to do that? No, we're wired in such a way in our brokenness that we cannot not lust. You know, but how many of us are trying to figure out how to do that on our own? Okay. It's it's hardwired into us. But Jesus was able to do that. He was able to not lust. Um, Jesus said something about oaths. He says, guess what? Your oaths, no matter what you swear them upon, they're going to come back to bite you. So he says, just do what you said you would do. How many of us do that 100% of the time? None of us, but Jesus completed it. Oh, Jesus says, don't take revenge. Don't take revenge. Instead, turn the other cheek someone wronged you give them the opportunity to let them wrong you again what <laughs> so you see how what he's doing is he's taking the law and he's actually going way deeper than any of us could ever think we could go and he says that's me that's that's me pluraling the law and fulfilling it for you in your place when he says love he says i mean love everyone uh and that means your enemies Again, that's, that's above and beyond our ability. He goes into even how to, how to worship. He he talks about praying. He talks about fasting. He talks about giving. He says, do those things. He says, but don't do them expecting you're going to earn something in doing them. He says, just do that out of a a simple, faithful heart to God. Again, I'm not wired for that. But Jesus, being God in human flesh, is. He's the only one that could complete the law. Why is that important? Why is that relevant? That Jesus had to complete the law?
1: Because our fate would be sealed otherwise.
0: Okay, our fate would be sealed how?
1: We all fall short of the glory of God.
0: Okay, we're doomed. Okay, we'd all be stamped with doom on our foreheads. Uh, had Christ not done that, had he not come to stand in our place and, and to do all those things. It's really interesting because, uh, I don't know about you, um, but as a Christian I find myself um, sympathizing with the Pharisees. I used to hate them. They used to be the biggest bunch of villains I, I could ever find, oh man, I could I could beat up a Pharisee verbally in, in no time, but now the older I get, the more I realize how much of a Pharisee I am, because on any given day you you can catch me <laughs> you can catch me trying to earn something from God by thinking somehow it's up to me. I've got to do this, 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 or that so that I can earn what he's already given to me. Isn't that perverse? But but we do that, don't we? That's That's the trap we've fallen into ever since Adam and Eve ate of that tree. We all want to have the knowledge of good and evil in ourselves and be in control of that. Um, so I would invite you to uh, continue reading the Sermon on the Mount sometime and see how Jesus' teachings here on the law completely dismantled the Pharisee systemized righteousness. And, and I'll call that religiosity. Okay, Jesus totally dismantles religiosity. I didn't say religion. Religiosity. This idea that somehow I can develop a system of righteousness that is going to make God say, okay, I'm okay with him. They're good, check, let them in, that kind of thing. And and then in doing that, he also sets up this great impossibility for us. So, Jesus had to take on human and flesh to do what you and I could never do. And that's to attain to a greater righteousness, a deeper righteousness, than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. To have that heart that we're all lacking. And by doing that, uh, Jesus was the one and only Being sufficient to be our sacrifice for sin. To be our perfect lamb slain in our place. The final and complete plero'o sacrifice. Now in laying down this impossibility, because as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to see this statement where he says, therefore be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Anybody hate that verse? <laughs> and we don't like it because we think, oh man, how can I do that? I, I keep failing to keep the commandments. Well, you don't, you're not perfect by keeping the commandments. Jesus made that clear. So how can I be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect? That's impossible for me. It leaves me with no choice other than I have to trust God with whom all things are possible through Christ in whom we can do all things. Okay, that's where that verse really goes. The context of Philippians. Um, I have to trust in Christ. I can't trust in myself. It's impossible if it's up to me. But because Christ came in the flesh to do what you and I could not do, to complete it and to finish it once and for all. No one's going to come along behind Him and 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 do it better than He did. Then. Then the impossible is completed in us through God and not of ourselves. And not by adhering to the law, but by Christ who fulfilled the law. Brian uh, says that, you know, this is kind of our purpose statement for each of these messages is that Jesus' reason for coming becomes our pattern for living. Okay? So I either have a pattern where it's, I depend upon me. To keep the law, or I develop a pattern in my life where I depend upon Jesus already fulfilling the law and then following after him. Okay, so to wrap it up, let me do it this way. In order for righteousness, our righteousness, to exceed the scribes and Pharisees, um, then what I have to do is I have to forsake any fleshly attempt to live in the character of Jesus. That means I have to crucify myself. That's that's what the Bible says, crucify yourself. And then I have to learn to develop my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay, This is where, oh, the Holy Spirit, he's in on this too. (laughs) This is why it's so vital for us to understand who Jesus is and what what he did. Okay, so at Christmas you get gifts, right? Christmas really is about getting. It's not about giving. I don't know who came up with that crap, but it's about getting because that's what the first Christmas was. Jesus came to us because God so loved us, He gave to us. So we have to learn how to be better receivers, better receivers of what God has given to us. Now, we've all heard of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Let's change that into the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the great gift. Jesus says, well I'm gonna go back to heaven now so that I can give you my spirit. And he's gonna live inside you. And, and what's he just in there to rearrange the furniture? No. The Holy Spirit of Christ is in there so that the law can be fulfilled in us. Alright? So that we can learn to walk in dependence upon him. Galatians 2, chapter, or chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, are, uh, this is kind of, I guess, you know, you talk about life verses or something. I think this one's mine. And it's, it's really a, a mystery to me. I'm trying to figure this one out, and I'm trying to realize it in my life. But it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Okay, So this is the verse I want, this passage, this is the truth. I want to realize somehow in my life. I want this to become the reality, the daily reality of my life. And uh, if you read Romans 7, you're going to realize that's not an easy thing to do. That the concept is simple, but the execution is is not very easy to do because what we have to do while we're here until Christ comes to gather us all together again is we have to learn how to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Okay? Cuz he's the one who gets it done not us. All right? So, we have about 10 minutes, well, 5 minutes before we pray and everything like that. This is what I want you guys to feed back to one another, to me, to everybody here. Um, what are ways that you can develop your relationship with the Holy Spirit? How does one do that? maybe you 've never even thought about that before it 's pretty easy to walk with Jesus, but you know the Holy spook freaks me out a little bit. you know so how do you do that? Any suggestions? Prayer prayer okay sounds like okay that's the sunny school answer but no it's 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 the vital aspect of developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit and and guess what we pray Holy Spirit I need you
1: huh?
0: <coughs> um, I, I need more of you controlling my life and less of me doing that we have to learn to pray that way um, I do know this in the New Testament there's at least three things we can do to the Holy Spirit that are negative we can quench him we can resist him, and we can grieve him. So I'm thinking, if those those negatives, <coughs> excuse me, there ought to be some positives that we're able to do. Like, how do I not grieve him? How do I not quench him? How do I how do I not resist him? And prayer is a great answer for all three of those things. Okay, so develop a consistent prayer life with the Holy Spirit being involved in that. Sally.
1: I don't... Know the answer exactly how to do this, but I
0: know the Bible refers over and over again to walking in the Spirit. Okay. So let's just if you don't know the answer to that one, and I'm not sure I do completely either, then one of the things I can do is say, Hey, while I'm praying, Holy Spirit, can you show me how to walk in you? And and I think part of that is a daily dependence. Saying, you know, I can't do this. But you you are, you are able, you are sufficient, because the Holy Spirit is God. He's not some mystical force. He is God as well, just as Christ is God, and and it's God working in us in all these these amazing, wonderful ways. So there you go. Walk in the Spirit. Okay. There's probably a hundred answers for that, practically to, to to tackle. And what a great thing to go after. Okay. Other thoughts
1: cool little God moments that you see throughout your day, you can, you know, attribute that to the spirit because it is the spirit making himself present in your life. Yeah. So when you say, Oh that's a cool God moment thank the Holy Spirit for allowing you to see that or
0: okay. So yeah, and, and we talk about self-awareness, and it's a good thing to develop self-awareness, you know, so that you, you know have a filter when you need to have a filter and things like that. Uh, but we need to develop spirit awareness, you know, the awareness that yeah, he is, he is with me. And uh, here's something I would encourage you to do: if you go to the Common Ground Facebook page, you'll find a, te- a link to a video to a testimony in there from Vanessa and Jesse Parago, two members of the of the church man even if you don't know who those people are go watch that testimony it's about 20 minutes go watch that thing and you will be very aware of the Spirit's presence in someone's lives and, and it's amazing not just their lives but in the life of churches and, and things like that as well okay other thoughts um, how do we develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit yes sir um, letting go of your dependence on like modern amenities like um, phone if you're using all those things all the time <laughs> yeah. Creed the monk <laughs> but yeah I mean you know leave it to creed and take it to a level that I did not want to go to because it's too convicting for me but yeah how distracted how distracted do we come by all these modern amenities as you say and just setting them aside for a minute can give us the ability to sit in the presence of God Oh yeah, you just wrecked Sally's life. Okay. <laughs> I have
1: to agree with everyone because you want to pray at all times without cease, like the scriptures tell us. Stay in your word and seek God daily, seek his presence. And like said, you need to uh not conform to the ways of the world. Paul said, be transformed with the renewing of the right mind. Because it's like this. If you have weeds and they grow around flowers, it's gonna choke that flower out. So the things of the world you have to look at is it, weed. so how can you see a true beauty of who you are as a person if you conform to cell phones, television? What and so sort of distract you from that relationship. So the best thing to do, you can you you can really Stay in the oh, word, you really want to stay in the word, stay in prayer. And the, the more you do it, it gets easier and it gets easier. It's like you had to do all the work to get out of elementary, out of middle school, out of high school, to go to each level. But the more you did, it, it became easier. So why would you let the world steal your joy? And why would you give it away? way? So there's nothing wrong with you said, being a slave of Jesus Christ, being right. a slave. But right. like that slavery is actually freedom.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, and, and there's another thing, just like we would say prayer is an important aspect. Uh, again, who's the author of these 66 books? Me. No, <laughs> strong, read it. <laughs> down, down to the punctuation marks? is the holy spirit. Now that's in the original language, you know, that that we understand that. Uh but you know, this is the spirit talking to us here and and what is this one of this main spirit's jobs according to Jesus is to disclose truth and to instruct us, to give us wisdom. Uh you know, that the world does not give. The holy spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. We need to see more of our finisher to better understand how to walk with him and we can do that in every page of this book it's it's possible to do that so we have to develop you know more time on that and again i find the phone i can stare at my phone for my phone actually tells me how often i look at it i wish my bible told me that no i don't (laughs) i don't think i could handle the truth there but i would hope that my bible would say you're looking at me more than the phone and that's a good place to be Okay, we're going to have to wrap up. But I, I do want to leave you with this, with this thought. That, that Understand that one of the reasons Christ came was to do what we could not do. And that's to finish and to complete, to the complete completeness <laughs> that it could be completed, uh, the law that was established for us. The law is not for us to somehow follow it and I'll get my ticket punched and get into heaven. The law is to lead me to Christ. The laws to reveal to me my my brokenness and my need for that brand new heart and Christ, the giver of the Holy Spirit, gives us that new heart through Him. Um, and and what an amazing what an amazing journey that is and, and a thing to realize. So let's pray and uh, and then we'll wrap it up here, Father. Uh, as we look into your Word, and, and I realize, boy, we just hardly even scratched the surface of that text. Um, we've hardly even peeled back one layer of what it meant for, for a holy, almighty, powerful Creator God to clothe Himself in human flesh and walk amongst us. Um, Lord, when we, when we sing praises to Jesus, um, um, we just don't have the adequate vocabulary because of the amazing being uh, our Savior God is. But Lord, we can at least say tonight, thank you for doing what we cannot do. Thank you for completing what is impossible for us to complete. And and somehow, Lord, uh, you get an A-plus on the test of righteousness and um, and you cover all our Fs with your A-plus. Thank you that you came to exchange our brokenness for your perfection. Um, and you had to come in the flesh in order for that to happen. Lord, my prayer for myself and for my friends here tonight is that we, that we develop a growing awareness of your spirit. Um, a, a growing hunger for that, that soft heart. Um, that new heart, that transformation that only you can accomplish in us. Um, not so that we somehow keep the law, but that we reflect that law, which is fulfilled in loving you and in loving others. And God, I, I know in my flesh I cannot perfectly love you, and I cannot perfectly love others. Um, but I know that through your Spirit, which you give to us, um, I can grow into that and 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 that's what I'm going to ask for, Lord, I want to love you better, I want to love you more, um, and I especially want to learn to love people better and love people more the same way that Christ loved me. Um, I want to get to a point Lord where where I'm loving people the same way Christ loved me. and I can't do that, but you can because you are my finisher. So finish me, Lord. do that finish finish us and uh and and may you be glorified in the work that you do in us and through us we pray thank you for listening we hope you have been blessed please join us again at common ground
1: church